0: Praise the Lord. Thank you, Choirs. Thank you, Quartet, for the beautiful special. Thank you, Pernica, for the beautiful piano specials. I just it's such a blessing through the music that God blesses us with here at Cornerstone. Um, this morning, I'll ask you to return the Bible to the Gospel of Matthew. We'll continue in chapter 15 as we look and examine closely and according to Matthew's rendition of the Gospel of Jesus' earthly ministry and learn more about Him. And then we learn more about our Lord, then we love Him more. And the more that we love Him, the better we want to serve Him. Uh, So it affects our relationship with the Lord. And so, praise the Lord. I want to just give this little disclaimer. I told the prayer group earlier this morning. I was distracted this morning getting ready and talking to Jan. I took two doses of all the medication, and so, I get, if I just pass out, it's just because of my blood. My blood sugar drops instantly. But I've been eating uh, sweet, so I've, I should be okay, but I just didn't want y'all to think that I was in the spirit, and y'all need to have revival or something. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> so those are so good. So, you know, uh, that happens so as your brain cells get older. You know, you just kind of do those kinds of things. So, anyway, praise the Lord. You know, before we looked in chapter 15 at the text that God has placed in our heart to preach on this morning, you know, every time we gather as the body of Christ, we would be terribly remiss if we didn't at least touch on the fact that you know God's word tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone, every person ever born, saves Christ Himself. So we're all under the penalty of sin, and Romans 6.23 tells us the penalty of sin is separation from God. When we die, if we die under the penalty of sin, we are separated from God for eternity in a terrible place created initially for the devil and the demons called hell. That's the only place so that the soul can go that's lost. And that's where you see in eternity consciously, aware, and, 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 uh, and feeling, uh, agony, pain, you know, place the Bible calls a place of darkness, a place of gnashing of peace and weeping, a place of eternal flames. But the Bible says right there in the same verse in Romans 6, that the free gift of God is eternal life from Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, and God raised him from the dead, he shall be saved. For with the heart man believes under righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made under salvation. Romans 10 13 says, Whosoever, whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord, truly believing, the Bible says is saved. Aren't you glad it's not through a long stretch of rituals and traditions and, and, uh, it's, it's extreme religious uh, habits and things like that, that that we have to work, that we have to be saved because, you see, there's nothing you could ever do. There's nothing I could ever do that could save our souls. You know, the reason I, I know that I'm saved is because God Almighty, my Father, He gave me the faith to believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. And I'm eternally indebted. That's why when we sang that song, Amazing Grace, it is an absolutely miraculous, amazing thing
1: that the Almighty
0: Holy God would look for a wretched, miserable, undeserving, hell-bound sinner like Charlie Martin and say, Charlie, I love you, and not only that, I'm giving you the faith to put your trust in my son who died on that cross in a few thousand years. That's the only reason I'm saying you know what? If you don't have a personal relationship with God who's taking Jesus Christ, I want you to know something, and I'm going to get on with the message, but this is important. God loves you. Lord, than you can never realize He loves you. Jesus died on that cross to pay the price for your sins just as much as He did mine. And if you'll reach out to Him by faith and say, Lord, I truly believe that you are the Son of God. I know I'm a sinner, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. Help your spirit, come into my life, take control, forgive me of my sins. And the Bible says the blood of Jesus washes us and cleanses us of all of our sins. And He will hear your humble prayer faith, and He will forgive you of all your sins. And not only that, dear brothers, sisters, listen, listen He will adopt you into His family. Instantly, you'll be taken out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the clutches of the devil, and you'll be transported into the very kingdom. You will become a child of God. Is that not a miraculous thing? You lay your head down on the pillow and from this day on, knowing that if you were to breathe your last breath on this side of eternity, if you've taken those steps of faith, you can know that you know that you'll wake up in the very presence of Almighty God and the glorious place of splendor called heaven. I urge you today, dear friend, if you don't know, Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Make today that day of salvation. At the end of the message, we'll give anybody an opportunity that would like to just come forward and say, I want to be saved. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to be forgiven of my sins. That'll be a glorious thing. You talk about a bunch of Baptists, Catholic Baptist cultures going crazy and celebrating. We'll be hooping and hollering because of faith. something wonderful and glorious that's happened in your life.
1: Give it to God.
0: Give it to the Lord. Praise the Lord. In Matthew chapter 15, as we begin looking here in verse 29, the theme of the message this morning is our Lord Jesus gives us the perfect model for Christian ministry. And all of us are called to minister. We all are called to minister using the spiritual gifts that God has given us in the church and then using the talents and abilities we have outside of the church, taking the love of Jesus out to other people. Every Christian is called to spur the Lord. Some in different capacities and some of the different levels of authority or whatever, but the fact is we're all called to serve. Now, the question that I would challenge you to meditate upon tonight, uh, uh, this morning, and you look on the screen, am I patterning my life of ministry after the ministry of my Lord? Are doing it Jesus' way? And important? The question for us, does our church consciously seek to follow Jesus' pattern of ministry? Leaders, ministers, minister team coordinators, Duke? Listen, I challenge every one of us to ask ourselves, does the ministry that we embark upon in this church, is it modeled after that of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? You know, last week I pointed out that the scope of Jesus' ministry is beginning to change, beginning in chapter 15. Because you see that Jesus is now expanding His kingdom ministry beyond the boundaries, the geographical boundaries of the nation of Israel. And we'll see that. He's more now into a whole different territory. He's going beyond the boundaries of the covenant to the Jews. He's reaching out to people who are not descendants of Abraham, who don't practice Judaism, who don't have the promises of Abraham per se as a biological Jew. Expand- Listen, as we see here today, Jesus is giving us a model. Not only to his disciples, but he's giving it to the not yet birthed church. Oh! He's showing us something that we need to take note of. In the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 verse 19, Jesus said, Go therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Two kingdoms that go all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. Even to the end of the world. He might say that as Jesus crossed the boundaries, leaving the nation of Israel, not for good, he's not giving up on the Jews, just because the leaders have rejected him, and the multitudes have pretty much dismissed him, so he's not turning his back on the Jews, he's simply expanding the kingdom offer. That's what God has sent him. That's the, what the Father has sent him to do. For those of you who are not descendants of Abraham and practicing Jews, you ought to be shouting and saying, Praise God! Because you see, Jesus, you might say, is boldly going for no Jews has ever gone. And that's in the Gentile territory. we're so saying that song the congregation when the roll is called up yonder. How do be there. I love it. I love to sing that song. And as Jesus is reaching out to expand the kingdom of God, i you glad that that song doesn't say when the role is called up yonder, it'll simply be Jews who practice Judaism who are descendants of Abraham. Would you glad that the role of yonder will include Gentiles like you and me, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is the path that God is, the Father is calling him to. Now, if you look at Jesus' ministry, I think it's very important that we first examine his motive. Why is it that he's doing what he does? Here in Mark's Gospel in chapter 7 verse 31, I'll just read this. It says, and from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered the house, and, and we saw that he went into Tyre and Sidon, and then dropped down to verse 31. And again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of the which is named from Jacob, meaning ten, Tullus, meaning cities, ten cities, you may say, in Gentile territory, scattered out, east of the Sea of Galilee, but make no mistake about it. Jesus is already in Gentile territory. Well, we saw that last week when he encountered the Canaanite woman. Now he's moving through this vast area on his way back down to the shores of the Sea of Galilee, but he's still in Gentile territory, expanding the kingdom of God. And so now we see in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, as we go back to verse 29, and Jesus departed from there, spreading the Sea of Galilee, and went up to the mountain and sat down there. Now, we've seen Jesus sat, sit down on mountain sides before. As he talked to the attitudes, listen, that was a mountain inside of Galilee. That was a mountain inside Jewish territory. Now he's sitting down on a mountain side and he's going to be surrounded by Gentiles, as we'll see here in just a moment. In fact, as we read on, then great multitudes came to him having with them those who were lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. So they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. How many of them do you think that he healed of that great multitude? All of them. All of them. Listen, Jesus puts these so-called faith healers that you see out there on television and then going around, you know, he puts them to shake their little leaves. They're literally, there's not too much that can substantiate their claims of miraculous healings. But I'm going to tell you something, Jesus healed all everyone. He healed everyone completely. He's majorly because he's the son of God. Isn't it's interesting that he doesn't just heal Jesus. He's very people. He's healing Gentiles as well. And the reason is because of his compassion upon people. And let me tell you something. If you examine why Jesus does what he does for the kingdom of God, it's important that you and I always ask ourselves, why am I doing what I do? In the church, in the community, on the mission trip, why do I do what I do for the kingdom of God? First and foremost, the answer is because we love the Lord. That must be your first answer. Because you love God. But then second, after that, Is our love for fellow man. And that's what Jesus is exhibiting here a wonderful compassion for the needs of people. Back in chapter 14 and verse 14, we see where Jesus exhibited that compassion. It says, and when Jesus went off, he saw a great multitude. And this is in a different setting, this is with Jesus. And he was moved with compassion for them. And then as we look in at John's Gospel, John helps us understand that Jesus came to demonstrate the, the wonderful compassion of God. Jesus in Luke's Gospel in chapter 19 in verse 41. I love this passage because it talks about Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem. This is just before he was going to be arrested and put on trial and, and, and crucified. And Jesus is coming to the city of Jerusalem in verse 31 of Luke 19, it says, Now as he drew near, he saw the city. Now this would be the same city that would yell and scream, Crucify him, crucify him. And listen what it says. He saw the city and he wept over it. The intention of the Son of God was so... Listen, as you look into the original text, that description of, of, of wept is not just a silent tear, trickling down his cheek. It means literally that deep down in his gut, he was having a gut-wrenching cry. He was sobbing. He was sobbing. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. If you only knew. If you only knew what was being presented to you. Who was being presented to you at this time. Listen, our Lord was filled with compassion. I think about when Jesus came to the tomb of his friend Lazarus in John 11.35, 11.35, most of us use this as our favorite memory verse It just simply says, Jesus wept, the Son of God, King of the universe, stood and saw how Lazarus and sisters were so torn with grief to show the effects of death, sin and death and, and, and the torment that they brought upon on people And Jesus' wept. I've made such a point of pointing this out to you because, listen, Jesus Christ, our Savior, was not a distantly detached deity who could not relate to us, but He's a loving and a personal and a compassionate God. I thank God for that. I thank God as what that we're talking about in those dark moments of our lives and we call upon the Lord. He's faithful. He's able to love us, and He's able to respond with compassion when we call upon Him by faith. Jesus, as as He came into this world, manifested the loving nature of God. We can never overemphasize that enough. John picks up on that wonderfully. In fact, in John chapter one verse fourteen, He talked about, "In the beginning was the Word, which is Christ." In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. But then in verse 14, he goes on to say, and say the Word, God, the Son of God, Jesus, He was made flesh and He dwelt among us. It was beheld his glory, as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Listen to what John is saying. God came down, Emmanuel. He was a man. He put himself in a human body, and we saw him. Listen, you can really gather that from John in his first epistle, in First John chapter one. This is what he's saying to the readers. He's saying, by the way, John is writing this in the first century in response to those heretical groups like the Gnostics who were trying to argue that Jesus was not the. Incarnation of God, there's no way that holy God could come down here and live in flesh. And God will blast them out of the water. He said, listen, that which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, and life was manifested, and we have seen, and bear witness, and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested, or made known to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with your Son, Jesus Christ. How many times did you hear John say, We saw Him, we heard Him, we touched Him, we looked upon Him, we upon Him, we saw God. He with us. It was not just a victim of somebody's imagination. It was not just a delusion by God. He was real. And not only did we see his power, but John said, we sinned. his love. He had something to experience, something to death, firsthand. I know a good segment of our season in camp, went to the winter jam over to the college gym, the Green bar, and boy, I they had a blast. What a wonderful time of just, you know, celebrating, praising God. And they, they were telling me about. I can just imagine, because I've been there before. And I was just thinking, man, they, I know they were lifted up in praise and the Spirit of God, great music. But you know, it, it won't be the same for me as it was for them, because they directly firsthand experienced mm-hmm. it. We went to Joanne, my wife went down to Columbia, South Carolina. She was on business, and she was at a hotel. She called me, and she says, you did this, it's in my hotel. She said, now, are not even reading, right? You News. Know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. She said, he's in my hotel. I said, well, that's, that's nice because these climbers are going on in South Carolina. And, uh, well, didn't run along after that, later that night, she sent me a text. She said, I spoke with him. I spoke with him for a few minutes. And then I said, right, here's a picture of who's a text. There was a dance up there with new fingers, you know. And she said, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and she said that, and she sent me another check and said, I was, after, after we finished, after we talked for a couple of minutes, I told him I would be praying for him. And now I'm going to tell you something. The girl knew about Newt Gingrich before, but I promise you, she, it, she knows him now. She, she knows him personally, because at that time, hey listen, it changed her. Let me tell you something. Listen, I don't say this, I said that to say this. No one on earth ought to speak more clearly and conditionally and confidently about the Lord than those of us who have personally experienced Him. Those of us who know Him personally, who encountered him in salvation, and follow him by faith, and live with him daily by the presence of his spirit and in his work. Listen, if anybody ought to be able to speak authoritatively about the love of God, the compassion of God, that ought to be those of us who know him and have experienced him. Aren't you glad that that's what our faith affords us as Christians? And because we have personally experienced the compassion of, our, of the love and the grace of our God in His Son, Jesus Christ, our own ministries should reflect the Lord's compassion. There ought not be another group on the face of the earth more compassionate than Christians. Now, I'll tell you this. We're not into social gospel. We're not out there just doing good works to feel good. No, 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 no. We are motivated because the Lord gave us a commandment. First commandment, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. The second commandment, he says, the second commandment, number two, is that we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So Christians must honestly examine the motive of their service. Do you do what you do in the church? How do the community? On a mission trip, do you do what you do for the kingdom of God because you are exhibiting the Lord's compassion towards those who need Him? Well so Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 verse 10, he says, Do I now persuade men or God, Or do I seek to please men? So for if, if I please men, then he says, I'm no longer a bond servant of God. So, I asked you this morning, are you a server in the kingdom of God simply to please people? Are you a people pleaser? Can so you believe what you do so people will brag about you and praise you and talk about how great and talented you are and how a wonderful person. Say, so listen, if you're doing that, you're wasting your time. And so has God confirmed. The motive for our ministry ought to be our love for God and our compassion, His compassion through us to those out there. The people we minister to should sense the love of God. I don't care what you do. Whether so do you're teaching church tours, singing in the choir, ministering out there in the community. Going on a mission trip, whoever you are seeking to minister to in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they ought to sense the love of God flowing through you like, like a, 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 a gas line. Taking gas. Bring brain the one. medication there. You got to... Listen. listen. Let others see Jesus in you. It's what we do. That's the whole nature of of, of our of our ministry. That was Jesus' motive in his ministry. He wanted to exhibit and demonstrate the compassion of God, not just to the Jews, but here are these Gentiles. They're pagan. They worship false gods, dead gods. And you know what? I think deep down in the Spirit they because if you go back to verse 30, it says, multitudes were coming to Jesus. It wasn't that in the city square, folks? It wasn't at a convenient intersection. From the commentaries i read, Jesus went up on a mountain in a pretty desert, deserted, desolate area in Decapolis. Two People had to come a good distance, and we'll see that in just a minute. Not only that, they had to walk many a mile just to get to Jesus. The word got to them: this Jewish healer, this great man, he's here, and people were taking and carrying. They're sick, they're maimed, all, oh, they're lame, they're dead, they're blind, they're demons. Of they were carrying them as far as Jesus was. And so, as we examine his methods and ministry now, I think it's interesting in verse 32 then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the multitude. Because I have now continued with me three days. Some of these people traveled maybe a day and a half, three days. They, they've, they've gone a long distance. And Jesus says, I have some I'm going to be some strength. And Jesus has already demonstrated his power. And this is what he's doing. He's demonstrating to these Gentiles the undisputable power of God in him. He's healed? Uh, and in verse thirty, he's healed those who were lame. He's healed, healed those who were blind. He healed those who couldn't speak. Those were You know, I looked at that. Doctor John MacArthur in his commentary on that passage was saying, "Made doesn't just mean a hand that's withered or a foot that's been crushed or just born with a disability. It can mean those things, disabled limbs of our body, but." He said, based upon the <coughs> original language, that would also include people that had lost their hand. arm. Jesus was speaking the word under the power of the church. People were regaining hands foot or leg. Listen, it was a powerful demonstration of the healing power of God. And if you look at verse thirty-one, so the multitudes marvelled when they saw the mute speaking, the man may hold, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. This is amazing thing. Jesus demonstrates the, the disputable power of God. But you know, what's interesting, He's putting His disciples to the test also. As you look over there at verse 32, when Jesus is saying to his disciples, there's about 4,000 men on that hillside, and Jesus is saying, I have compassion on the most of you because they continue with me three days and have nothing to eat. Down for me? And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint. These people were in a desolate region, no food supply. Jesus knew they had a long journey back to their homes, you surely would faint. I mean, have you ever been so hungry you thought you were going to faint? You know, you, 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 you're just about to pass out and you've got 10 paws back in the grocery line. You know, you just take those French tires. You just, oh, your body's getting weak. You've got double vision. And yet, yeah, you've been hungry enough and Jesus said, I don't want to faint. He was stressing his disciples. Look at the verse 33. Then the disciples said to him, where can we get enough food or bread in the wilderness, to, to feel such a great multitude. Some of the liberal you know, commentators would say, oh, Matthew made a mistake. <laughs> he's, he's describing the same thing that we just saw back earlier in chapter 14, where Jesus healed the, um, saved the 5,000. And, and he didn't mix up. Now and that he's wrong. And we Matthew, Levi, was a tax collector. Tax collectors were meticulous in detail. Who got this stuff. another miraculous season. It's in a different region. The first one was among the Jews. This is among the Gentiles. The first was in the Galilean region. This is on the hillside in, in Gentile territory. Jesus commands the people to sit down in, in chapter 14 to feed the 5,000. And they're sitting on grass. Just a later. The grass is already dried up. You serve they can't for on the ground. Listen, there's enough detail in the context to say Matthew saw Jesus... Do yet another miraculous healing. Now, if the disciples witnessed Jesus miraculously feeding 15, I mean, 5,000 men, which could, could equate to 15 to 20,000 people by the time the women and children were thrown in, they saw that front hand, if they ways, and and who did? And Simon they' them say, oh yes, Jesus, that was neat what she did back over there in Galilee. Let's do it again. But that wasn't their response was it. Verse, in verse 33 listen where, where can we get enough bread to feed all these people yeah listen it's in, kind of like the contrast early last week we looked in, in chapter 15 and Jesus Jesus connected with a, a can- Canaanite woman he came to him and, and, and he had an exchange with her you remember and she she believed she put faith in Jesus that he would heal her daughter and what did Jesus say man I'm sad i you. What great faith! <laughs> this Gentile woman has demonstrated great faith. Even though I was testing her and putting her to see the hoops, the, the, the trials, to see if she really believed. And, and when she did, Jesus said, that's great faith. Now when the disciples, second time around, are saying, oh, I wonder we'll get enough bread. I mean, 4,000 men, that's about twelve thousand people. One of them is, and Jesus is probably shaking his head. Oh, my goodness. But he kept them. He's willing to show them something. He's willing to exhibit the divine power that He has, not only in healing, but in feeding people. And so He does the, very much the same thing. He commanded the multitude to sit down. He, he took the seven loaves that the, the, the disciples had and the little bitty fish. So those saints broke it, it to the disciples. They distributed and guess what? 4,000 women. Probably about 12,000 people all together. their they're full. Offer of that simple seven loaves and two little see. Amen. Jesus is demonstrating to his disciples and to his to the multitude that he represents the power of God to do wondrous things. And I believe his disciples begin to get this. You know what? The lesson that Jesus is teaching his disciples is, Tell us, God's work, ministry, is not dependent upon what you have. The success of ministry is not dependent upon your resources. You see, one of the, one of the problems that will plague so many contemporary churches today, is we will face great challenges of ministry and missions and our first impulse is, oh God, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough people. We don't. have enough not We don't have this. We don't. You know, we, we quickly think about ourselves and what we don't have. And the Lord is saying over and over to His disciples and to us today, don't focus on yourselves. Don't be preoccupied with what you don't have. Put your faith in the One who owns it all. Put your trust in the One who can supply every need. Did not the Apostle Paul say? For all of your needs would be supplied, God would supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so as we move out, the church conducts its ministry in the power of God. It witnesses to the loss in the power of God. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said to His disciples, He says, When you receive when you receive the Holy Spirit, you shall receive power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. He said, go and witness, but don't do it in your own power. Don't do it on your, in your own savvy. Don't do it in your own personality. Listen, you go know and you share Christ in the power of the Spirit of God. It's unlimited. And not only that, in you know, all the basic functions of the church. When we worship, now, we worship the power of the Spirit of God. The things thing that we attempt to do on our own, in our own talents, in our own abilities, wherever you sit in this system. don't try to worship God in your own strength and nature. You love the Spirit of God. You want to worship God. You open yourself up try to worship. You get filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to experience worship. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit will show you how to worship God. In ministry. In discipleship. In, in fellowship. Everything ought to be done in the power of God. Let me move on. He talked about his motives. He talked about the methods of ministry. Why we do what we do, and how we do what we do. But what is the ultimate goal? What is it really all about? What is Jesus' ultimate goal? It was that God be given glory And worship. In Matthew chapter 14, we saw after Jesus walked out on the water during that storm, he walked right out on the sea, After the boat where the disciples were. Let Peter walk around for a little bit, and then he began to think because he kept his eyes off the Lord. Then he got in the boat with Peter, with the other disciples, and just like that, the sea was calm. Just like that. They're instantly transported to the destination. And then in chapter 14, verse 33, says, Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him. Back in chapter 15 there, last week we saw where this this Canaanite woman came. In verse 25, she came. She saw the power. She saw the love. She saw the compassion. She fell down and worshipped him. Now in In chapter 15 in verse 31, the multitude marvels. In fact, Mark's gospel, the parallel of this, says they were astonished. In chapter 7, verse 31. They were astonished. And what that means is they were marveling that this this is the God of the Jews. Look what he's doing. Our God can't heal people like this. Our God can't feed people like this. Our gods are dead and helpless compared to the God of the Jews. It says that they marveled and they say he glorified the God of Israel. And we know in Jesus' ministry, I won't go back and read all of it, but I'll just bring your attention to that wonderful, intimate, personal prayer that Jesus Christ prayed to the Father. In John 17, over and over, Jesus said, Father, glorify Yourself in Me. And You glorify Me because You are in Me and I am in You. Everything Jesus did was about bringing glory to the Father. Because if he brought glory to the Father, then he knew people would see God, they would experience God, they would worship God. And for so you and me, the church, listen, our, our goal for why we exist, the goal is that we would lead people to express glory to God in worship. Now hang on, I'm about to wrap up, but I don't want you to miss this point, or you missed out on probably the main thing. Listen, what we do, how to do it? Let me tell you. The purpose, the goal of it is our ministry, whatever it is, we did it in the name of the Lord. Our ministry is to bring people to God so that they might glorify Him. And if you reach out to people and you share the love of God in the power of the Holy Spirit of God, whether you're doing it in a nursing home here in the community or in a church. But in Kenya, it doesn't matter. Everything we do are to bring people to God. To experience our wonderful Heavenly Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the good news of the Gospel. Because when people experience God, ladies and gentlemen, they can't help but glorify Him. them. To so bring them to know Him. And our other goal is that we, as we worship as we worship, we bring His people. Worship is about Christians. People who are His people. Worship brings us, His people, to see His glory. We to help you in some way. And I'm talking about we, you know, the worship leaders. I'm here as your pastor, and one of my primary goals is to help you to worship God. Because Bell, our assistant in worship, helps me in that task. Our goal is to help you to worship God. When you come into this sanctuary and sit through a worship experience and somehow, someway, you miss out on the glory of God's clear church member, we haven't gotten you money's worth. And in the preaching of the word, in the taking of the offerings, the testimonies, and the singing of songs, it's our opportunity to experience God's glory. You know what happens when God's people share the glory of God in worship? And they are motivated to serve Him. How motivated are you to sacrificially serve God using the spiritual gifts that you have within the church? Going out there in the community, giving up your time sacrificially and your resources sacrificially, how motivated are you to do, share God's compassion with people in need? If you're not motivated again, friend, maybe it's been a while since you experienced the glory of God. And I pray that for every one of us, every one of us, that through what we do here, through what the congregation was sent the presence of God the power of God, the glory of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the faithfulness of God, and give Him all the praise and the glory. Your ministry, modeled after that with Jesus, gave us an example here on earth. Church, are we doing ministry following the example of Christ? Are we motivated by the compassion of God for people? Are we in the power of God or are we relying upon our souls? And really, what is the goal for us doing what we do? Is this because we, we build these facilities, have big numbers, so people look and brag about us? Or are we obsessed? To bring people into the presence of Almighty God, that He light be the God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how humble we are when we see you through the lens of your word. Thank you so much, Lord, for giving us your infallible and in us living word, holy word. It will be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our paths. Lord, you cast the truth, the light of the truth, on so much that help us to see who we really are and how and why and what we do. And our humble prayer this morning, Lord, is that we would indeed follow the pattern of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to be that kind of a people that so you might be glorified, O oh Father. So you, Lord Jesus, the Son of God might be glorified. You, Holy Spirit, the very Helper, the Comforter, the presence of God in our midst, that you might be glorified. It's not about us, Lord. No, it's not. It's all about you. Forgive us, Lord, for being self-centered. Forgive us, Lord, for doubting. Forgive us, Lord, for being preoccupied with what others think. Help us, Lord. To be concerned only with what our Father thinks. May You, Lord, be pleased with our lives. May You be glorified in all that we do, and we'll give You the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. We took just a few moments, or as long as this Spirit has happened to lead. God speaks to us through His Word, and I believe it's so important that we respond. I hope you've been challenged in your heart this morning. What is this deal being a Christian really all about? What do you truly mean to be a member of a church? Always functioning, individually, as family,
1: and as a church family, as the
0: people of God. Hey, listen, dear friend, if there are some adjustments that you need to make personally,
1: there's not a better
0: time than today. Don't waste a minute of your life. Don't waste a day of your life following after the wrong pattern Producing give very little fruit to God. You don't know how many days you have left to walk on this earth. You don't know how many hours you have left to serve God and to, to bring glory to Him. Don't waste a minute. Don't make excuses. Don't let the devil give you out so you can say, well, maybe another time. Oh, no. Now's the time. Now is the time to so, say, oh Lord, forgive me. I've, I've, I've been doing it wrong. I need to make some adjustments here. Help me to be motivated to do ministry the way you did it, oh God. Help me to rely upon your power, not man's power. Oh God, help me. us nothing, oh nothing, but bringing glory to you. It would it be great not only as individuals were to make that kind of a commitment, wouldn't it be a great thing if families were to make that kind of a commitment? Can you imagine the impact upon this church and upon this community with moms and dads and children, granddads and grandmas and grandparents grandchildren? Listen, we are going to serve the Lord. We are going to serve the Lord the worst way. God will we'll come and lead us and sing and I hope of the song that We'll give you an opportunity to respond. I take you back to the very beginning of our message this morning. If you're here today, you don't have a personal relationship with God, so through in Jesus Christ, I I invite you to come. We don't we don't put people's arms, but, but I wouldn't be much of a preacher of the gospel if I didn't give you an opportunity to respond to the truth of the gospel. If God was speaking to your heart, you just want to come. Nobody's gonna judge you. Nobody's going to judge you because I promise you, every person here that is born again believing in Jesus Christ remembers that day that they did the very same thing. Everybody ought to be happier and prouder of you and the very people of God. So don't be worried about what other people might think. If this is your day, we invite you to come. Whatever God may be doing in your heart, to come. Brother Bell, come and lead us as we sing together. let's just stop there for just a second. You know, I don't know. God just put on my mind this song that was probably years ago that Bishop Enfield sang it. Who's still working on me? I thank God that He reminded me in a very personal and blunt way years ago, Charlie, you haven't arrived. But so before you went off to the seminary and you just passed in for several years don't you ever think, son, that you have arrived. You'll never arrive until you get to heaven. There's always room for improvement, for Jesus. Truth thank God, and He just kind of got my attention and reminded me of that, because I try my best to humbly come before God's Word and use that as a, as a repair manual.
1: There's always room for
0: improvement in your past life. I'll tell you that right now. But I say that to tell you this. There's room for improvement in all of our lives. I don't care how good you're doing what you're doing. It can be better. And nobody can tell you how better than our Father. Because He loves you. And He wants the very best out of your life as a Christian. So I leave you with that challenge today. you're going out of here and just accepting the reality that He's still working on me. And we're going to let God do what He wants to do in your life for His glory. I just feel once I think about the privilege we have to bring glory to the Creator of the universe. Who am I? Who who am I? But a word in the eyes of omnipotent, sovereign God, and yet He calls me His Son. I'm one of His people, and I have the privilege every day that I wake up to bring glory to Him in some small way. So do you. All for his glory. Praise the Lord. Don't forget, our youth at the back. they to into Nexus Super, S O U T E R, Sunday for caring. If you have a dollar, you want to drop it in that little receptacle, We would appreciate it. And God will use it, I promise you. Just as He multiplied the bread and the fish in this miracle, let me tell you something. So multiply whatever we give. To help feed new people and natural people what an awesome God we serve.
1: Let's pray, Heavenly Father.
0: Uh, how can we ever begin to thank you, Lord? You're so good, you're so faithful, you're so generous, you're so so patient, you're so forgiving. Help us <laughs> into our hearts today and help us, Lord, to draw closer to you. Help us to be more faithful to follow the pattern of ministry that you've given to us in your word. And use this glory, not for our glory. It's not for our benefit, but let the Lord for your glory. And we'll thank you, Lord. We'll praise you. So this offering of caring, we Lord, in order to just multiply you might be glorified, and people's lives may be touched. And we'll be careful to give you all praise. And in Jesus' wonderful name we pray, and people of God said, Amen.